Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Now, we have a lot of problems when we try to live life in a different kind of way. What do I mean by that? It is easy for some people to get stuck in a place of the past. It's easy for us, for our minds to be consumed and to be filled with maybe a trauma or maybe a victory that happened five years ago or 20 years ago. The, pro- there's the, the problem with that is the past is in the past. Today is its own day. As much as, uh, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm 42 years old now, and as much as I would love to go back and live a 24-year-old Adam Dragoon life, I can't do that. I'm living today, 2023. The opposite is also true, that it's possible for us to be so consumed by what is coming six months from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, that we're missing what's happening today. We live our lives in a linear way. And that means that I can't even go back to yesterday and I can't go forward to tomorrow. All we have in life is right now. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't prepare. That does not mean that we shouldn't, you know, uh, take care of things in life and think about the future. We ought to be prepared But we have to remember that our lives are shaped by every decision that we make on a daily basis. 
let me, let's put it this way. The person that you are today, what's today? The 11th of June, 2023. The person that you are today is a result of all the decisions that you've made leading up to today. Is that true? In fact, the very, the very uh, uh, reality that you are sitting in church this morning is a result of many decisions that you've made on previous days. You've made a decision to follow Jesus. That decision has led you to make a commitment to a local church body. Thank God for that. Your, that decision has led you to look at a schedule online or, or on, on, you know, to, to know when the church services are going to happen. That decision has caused you to wake up at a certain time this morning, hopefully, to get here uh, when church starts. All of those decisions lead up to the exact moment where you are today listening to a message in the Potter's House in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You are a result of previous decisions. Now, some of us are not happy with the results that we have. And that's because there are some decisions back there that were not great and that have led to some bad consequences. But here's the good news. The person that you will be one year from now and five years from now will be the result of decisions that you make today. And so this is the uh, profound idea that you can shape your own future. James, in the book of James, it says that the tongue is a small member, but it has incredible impact like the rudder on a ship. Comparatively speaking to the rest of the ship, it's a small piece. But one tiny movement of that rudder can alter the course of a journey. The same is true this morning about your decisions, what decisions you make. This is why I love ministering to young people in the adolescent years of your life. Between the ages, say, of 12 and 16 or 17, those years are so critical and foundational because decisions you make in that time are going to direct your entire adult life. Isn't that true? Maybe some of you can remember some bad decisions you made in that time and that have carried with you for a long, long time. But the same is also true in the positive. If you will make good decisions today, you will set yourself up for future success with God, for future obedience, for future blessing in the kingdom. This story in Genesis chapter 13 is a lesson in making decisions. And I'm, pr- I'm praying that God will use this to uh, enlighten some people today about some decisions that you're facing. Let's read together this story, Genesis 13, beginning with verse 1. It says, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar, which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And now uh, we are introduced to the other character in the story is nephew Lot. Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them 
that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. These are very good problems to have. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and Perizzites dwelt in the land. So Abram said, please, let there be no strife between me and you, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren, we're family. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. I want to preach a message I've titled Decisions of Destiny. Father, we come by the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you. And we're asking, Lord, that every person here, God, no matter what season of life we might find ourselves in, to realize, God, that there are decisions in front of us, God, that we need to make in order to prepare for future hope of glory. I'm praying, God, that you would deliver from the mistakes of the past and that, God, you would put us into a future and a hope that is with you. We give you glory for all you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. Let's first look at getting out of Egypt. As we enter into this chapter, you might not know, but if you read some of the backstory in the book of Genesis, you will discover pretty quickly that Abram, though he was a great hero of faith and a great founder of three world religions, that um, half of the world looks up to Abram as a, uh, as a pillar, as a bedrock, solid foundation of our faith. It's pretty incredible to think about. But he made some stupid decisions. And as we meet him here in chapter 13, he had made a really bad decision because of a time of famine to go down to the land of Egypt. And you can go do your own study about his time in Egypt, but he had some, uh, he, he was not hitting on all cylinders. Abram made some bad decisions, and it did have long-term consequences in his family and even in his children. But here's the point I want to bring out to you today. In our scripture, Abram made a decision to come out of Egypt. He made the decision that I recognize my journey here and my activities and my fear and my cowardice that I displayed in Egypt, that that was a bad decision. And I'm making the decision to move out of Egypt. He had to be rebuked by a pagan pharaoh. Uh, it was not a good scene. He, he told his wife to lie on his behalf. And so uh, here's the mistake that many people make is that when you realize you've made bad decisions that have led to bad consequences, maybe I'm the only one that ever happened to, what do you do in that time? What do you do when you recognize, okay, I'm not living my best life right now. I've done some things, I've said some things, I've hurt some people, and it's led to bad consequences. You have a choice. You have a choice whether to stay where you are or to move out. Aren't you glad that Abram had enough sense to move out of Egypt? It says in verse 1, Abram went up from Egypt. And I want to tell you, Egypt is more than just a geographical location. Egypt represents a mentality. Egypt represents a lifestyle. Egypt is the place where God's people would go on to be enslaved by the Pharaoh. 
Egypt is the place where, uh, where when they were set free, God did miracles to get them out of Egypt. But then they began to look back and say, oh, don't you remember how good we had it down in Egypt? Because, yeah, I know they were whipping our backs. Yeah, I know we had no personal freedom. But at least we had three squares a day. At least we had some leeks and onions and some tzatziki sauce. It was great, man. And they began to long for the days that, that, uh, that they could live in bondage once again. There is a certain attractiveness. It is the picture of the world and the ways of the world. The problem with living in the world is it leads to slavery. It's the picture of a life of sin. And the good news this morning is that you don't have to stay there. You can make a choice this morning to leave from Egypt. It means leaving your uh, bad decisions behind. It doesn't mean that all your problems will be solved in a moment of time, but it means you can start in the right direction today. Let me ask you, what part of Egypt are you living in today? Where have you leaned on your own understanding which led to bad decisions, which brought destruction in your life? What failures, what sins, what rebellions against God, which decisions that you made that led to a separation from God and his blessings? And led, this is the hard part, it led to an embarrassing result. It's not just you that sees the result, but everybody around you sees the dire consequences Some of you are perhaps in your own personal Egypt this morning. And the danger is that we die in Egypt. The danger is that we never have enough sense or enough uh, 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 revelation from God to say, you know, maybe God has something better for me. We can move out of Egypt this morning because of the blood of Jesus. Listen to Proverbs 24 16, a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Let me ask you, the difference between the righteous and the wicked, is it that one falls and one doesn't fall? That is not what the proverb just said. The proverb said that both the righteous and the wicked, there's going to be times when we all fall. Is that correct? When we all do things that we despise. There's going to be times that we all make decisions that lead to Egypt-like consequences. The difference between the righteous and the wicked is that the righteous man falls, but he gets up again. He says, I'm not staying here. I'm not going to be a slave to my bad decisions. Like Abram, we can make the choice, I'm not staying here, I'm moving back to the place that God wanted me to be. Psalm 37, verse 24, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. If we are going to go forward into the blessing of God, sometimes we have to go back. This is a beautiful picture of repentance. Don't think tonight or this morning that, that you don't need to repent. So this is the reason I say that is because some, some of us, we get a little, uh, we get a little experience with God and we get a little time and we get some familiarity with the word of God. And, and, uh, uh, we know how to speak Christianese now. 
You know, we talk about redemption and forgiveness and reconciliation, and and we learn a few big words from the Bible, and all of a sudden, uh, we forget our need for repentance. That's a big word we need to remember a few times. Didn't the Lord's Prayer, the one that we're supposed to be our model prayer, the one that's daily part of our lives, part of that daily prayer was, forgive us this day our trespasses? This day. That means part of the prayer assumes that we're going to be asking God for forgiveness on a daily basis. Now, maybe you have uh, come to a point in your life where you're sin-free. I'm not there. We all have flesh that we contend with. We all have the world which pushes our buttons. And we all have an enemy who tempts us without fail. So the difference between righteous and wicked is not that the righteous never fall. The difference is the righteous make up their mind, I'm not going to live there. I might, I might make a wrong turn every once in a while, but when the GPS starts yelling at me, turn around, turn around, I'm going to do that. When the Holy Spirit starts pestering me, when the Holy Spirit begins to whisper in my ear and says, uh, maybe, maybe you ought to think about that. I'm going to be sensitive to the Holy. I'm not going to stay in Egypt. I need to go back. The Bible says that Abram went to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. He had to go back to the very place where he started when he made the bad decision. It reminded me of the story in 2 Kings chapter 6 where in Elijah's school of prophets, there was a man who was using an axe. And they were chopping down trees and they were building stuff. And as they were doing that, the axe head flies off of the handle. I don't know how many people here have ever used an axe. Something not too common in our world today. But if you're swinging an axe and the handle or the the axe head, the, the, the business end of that axe flies off of the handle, can I tell you, you're not going to have a good time trying to chop wood with just the handle of an axe. What you really need is that axe head. And so they brought this problem to Elisha the prophet in 2 Kings 6, verse 6. And he said, the man of God said to him, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick, threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Apparently, the place where he was swinging this axe, it fell into some water. And it was impossible for them to go find. They didn't have super magnets back in the day. So Elisha, the man of God, says, if we're going to recover our ability to be effective... If we're going to continue building and growing this school of prophets, the work that God is doing here, we have to go back to the place where you lost it. Sometimes that takes some counseling. Sometimes that takes some soul searching. But I want to tell you, maybe you feel like those uh, students in that school. You feel like God has something that you need to do for him, but you're swinging at this tree and all you've got is an axe handle, there's no head, you're like not making any progress here. What is the problem? It would be worth your time, your effort, your prayer, and even consulting with other Christians who have been in your place to go back to where you lost it. When was the last time you felt God's presence? And what changed since then? 
Sometimes we need to go back to that place. There's a point of disobedience that God is contending with. Sometimes it's like Jonah. When he made a decision, God asked him to go to Nineveh, and he said, there's a lot of nasty people in Nineveh. I don't want them to be saved anyway. So I'm going to go on vacation. And he booked a trip to Tarshish, which was on the Spanish coast. Beautiful place. He says, I'd rather live there. I'd rather preach to those people. Besides, they need, they need the Lord too. And he, he willfully disobeyed the command of God. And, you know, from that decision, the life of Jonah got worse and worse and worse until he's at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a great fish. You, you ought to take some stock of your life if you find yourself in an Egypt. It's a picture of Egypt, a place of constriction. A place where choices are limited. And God does, has better things for you. The Bible says we have to go back. Back to the place where we were obedient to God. Back to a sacrifice. Abram had to remember. You know, the Bible says, never says that Abram made sacrifices to God when he was in Egypt. Isn't that amazing? He had to go back to where he was to sacrifice to the Lord. And it was only then that he was able to get back on track. Revelation 2, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I want to tell you, man, sometimes church people, we get the idea that repentance is for the sinners. Repentance is for those running from God. Repentance is for those who are sleeping in on Sunday morning. No, no, no. The way that you came into the kingdom was through what? Repentance. You believed and you repented and God saved you. The way that you came into the kingdom is the same way that you remain in the kingdom and that is through a lifestyle of humility. We, we are, the world is proclaiming that this is Pride Month all around us. Well, maybe the church ought to declare Humility Month where we begin to search ourselves and see, Lord, is there anything in me that is leading to terrible decisions down the road? And I want to turn away from those things. It, it says there, when he was finally there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. He called on the name of the Lord. When's the last time you really called on the name of the Lord? I'm not talking about our little token offerings that we make to God. I'm not talking about just showing up for church. I'm talking about crying out to him. See, this is the moment right here where Abram's life gets back on track with God. I, I just want to give you some hope, y'all, because can I tell you, I have seen some incredible failures in the kingdom. I have seen some people crash and burn. I have seen some people make decisions so bad that you think it would never be able to nosedive, and how are they ever going to get out of this? But I want to tell you, we serve a God who is a miracle worker. We serve a God who can redeem the lost. 
And if you need any evidence of that, you can turn exactly to, to, uh, to Abram, uh, to the Apostle Paul, who was a murderer and a, and a Christian killer. Man, I want to tell you, if God can recover people like that, if he can recover people like me, then there's hope for you. Let's look secondly at when companions divide. Now, up until this point, our focus has been on Abram. But the scripture then introduces another character, which is his nephew, Lot. Now, Lot is a very interesting person in the word of God. Lot, up until now, has basically been a follower of Abram. There have been great blessings and maybe sometimes a few, uh, a few shaky things when it comes to following Abram. But the, the point is that Lot followed him. He was faithful to him. He was a follower. He was a supporter. He was a disciple. And, uh, and up until this point, following Abram was pretty good for Lot. The same way that through Abram's mostly good but sometimes bad decisions have brought him to a point of blessing. Well, the Bible says that Lot also was extremely blessed. He was wealthy. Verse 5 says that Lot, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. There is a lot of blessing when you know that uh, you are in the place that God wants you to be, following the, 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 the examples that God has put in your life. This is why it says, children, obey your parents. I didn't get any amens. I guess all the children are in the uh, children's church. I'll preach it to them later. But when the Bible says, children, obey your parents, for this is right, there's a reason why God says that. Because when you find yourself in a place of obedience, then God blesses that. You say, I don't have perfect parents. Really? But yet God still says, children, obey your parents. This is why uh, that there is blessing when a wife makes a decision to submit to and follow her husband's uh, lead. This doesn't mean that you're a doormat. This doesn't mean you don't have a say. But as a wife, you can make a decision the same way the church makes a decision to submit herself to our Savior, to our uh, great husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, that when a wife does that for her husband, there is a blessing of God that flows out in that marriage. But pastor, my husband isn't perfect. Really? Yeah, we know. We know that. I know that I am far from perfect as a husband. But it is through that decision, uh, that order in the home, that there is God's blessing. This extends to the workplace. I'm amazed at how many employees have no idea how to, uh, how to submit their will to a boss. Or that even when they're there, they're clocked in, but, uh, but they're, uh, they're doing their own thing. Right? In the church, there is a, a leadership structure and there is blessing. In a nation, there is a, there is a citizen relationship to a government, and we know that, uh, that there are limits to, those, uh, to, those, to how we will follow. It, it only uh, happens as people are surrendered to the Lord Jesus, but all authority comes from him. And that idea of surrendering to authority, that as Lot has followed that in his life, he found God's blessing. And it was this very blessing that began to divide them. The Bible says that the wealth that they had gained together <clears throat> started some problems. 
And the problems was that the land that they were living in was not able to support the flocks and the herds together. It says in verse 6, the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. There was strife between the herdsmen. And by the way, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were in the land. So these are very normal disputes. How many know that in the blessing of God, that sometimes there in the course of life, there are going to be some issues that arise? So the only perfect church that I am aware of is the church where nobody goes. As soon as somebody walks in the front door, you've ruined it because people are imperfect. And even if we all together were saved, we're in our right mind, we've got a hunger for the things of God, we want to do right, we want to, to uh, obey the commandments of God, and even in that environment, how many know, sometimes there's going to be some conflict. It comes with the territory. There's no such thing as a barn with no poo-poo. You know what I'm saying? Like, if there are animals present, there will be messes to clean. And if you've ever been in church leadership, you know this very well. People will bring problems. There, there will be conflicts. There will be disagreements. And that is part of life in a family. There's going to be ar- arguments. There's going to, you know, it's not going to be the, the magazine cover family experience. No. In fact, far from that. We're going to have conflicts. The idea of life and and learning to be blessed by God is working through those conflicts. And this is exactly what Abram and Lot are confronted with. Abram comes to Lot. Their herds are uh, are going hungry. Their their shepherds are are having conflict over uh, territory and various things. And, And so Abram sees the problem. And he comes to his nephew. And he says this in verse 8. Please, let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. We're family, is what that means. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. And so Abram is showing incredible generosity toward this man Lot. Abram would have been the elder, which means he should have been the one to take first choice. He should have been the one to say, oh, there's this nice pasture over here. I'm going to take that place, so you go over there. And so it is is, uh, already an incredible gesture that he's giving Lot first dibs on who's going to take the choice land. I wish that the story would have gone something like this. I really, you know... In my, in my ideal situation. And what I wish from God's people is that we would seek to do something different than the decision that Lot made. But here's what Lot said. He said, okay, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to look down the, the, the valley there, and I see that this valley is very fertile, and it's a place where the herds can do well, where I could start a farm and a business, and things are going to be great down there. The only problem is that's Sodom and Gomorrah down there. Now, I wish, I wish that Lot would have said, Uncle Abram, can we, can we have a meal together? Can we talk about this? See, here's the thing. Abram, I recognize that I am not a self-made man. I recognize that the blessing that I have in my life, on large part, is because of you. Because I made a choice to follow you. And if I make a choice today to separate from you, 
I think that it's going to hurt me personally. And I don't want our family to be divided. I don't want, I don't want to let this petty issue separate our families. Isn't there a way that we can work this out? Don't you wish Lot would have said that? Don't you wish Lot would have humbled himself? Instead of seeing an opportunity to make a few more bucks, don't you wish Lot would have said, guys, come on, Uncle Abraham, I'm so, I appreciate that we're trying, you know, you've given me first dibs, but listen, I, I want to continue to be a blessing to you because you've been such a blessing to me. Instead, Lot makes a decision. And he doesn't know it. But this decision is going to cost him his entire family. This is why it's so important. We only have one chance today to live. So important to consider the decisions that we make. Please, uncle, I'd rather fire all of these stupid shepherds than to be separated from you. You wish that he would have said something like, like Ruth did to Naomi. Uh, I'm not going to leave you. I will not turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. If Lot would have made that decision, the story would have turned out much different. But that's not what happened. The Bible says in verse 10, Lot lifted his eyes and saw the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zor. Then the Lot chose for himself the plain of Jordan, journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. How did he choose on that day? He used his eyes. You have to be careful, church, when you're making decisions based only on the things that you can see with your eyes and hear with your ears and sense with your senses. Because how many know there's more to life than just physical reality? All he did was he looked. And he said, ooh, there's nice grass over there. There's nice, uh, uh, there's nice soil. There's nice water. And uh, you know what? Man, I can make some money down there. How I many know the grass is always greener? Some people think that to escape your problems that, you know, you know what I really need to do? I need to get out of this city. And I need to move to, uh, I, need, I go to Texas. Because Texas, man, everything's bigger in Texas. And, you know, as soon as you start down that road or, you know, you, you got a thousand different choices. Uh, you know, man, I just want to move to uh, England. I want to be in England because, man, that's jolly old England. And they're going to drink tea in the afternoon. And it's going to be great there. And, and people begin to string all these fantasies together. Do you know what's crazy to that about me? Uh, <laughs> crazy about me, about that to me. There we go. Here's what's crazy. Right now, there are people in Virginia Beach thinking, if I move to Texas, everything's going to be better. And there's also people over here in Texas thinking, you know, man, I heard about this place called Virginia Beach. And if I move there, everything's going to be better. And they've both made up their minds based solely on physical location. This is a mistake. Never underestimate. The blessing of God has far more to do with who you are connected to than where you are planting your life. 
Lot made a decision based upon his ability to increase his income. He put money before relationships. I want to tell you, it didn't work out well. I'll, I'll let you do your own study. But the story ends when he moves to Sodom and Gomorrah. He has four daughters. Two of them die in the judgment of God. His wife turns into a pillar of salt when she looks back on the destruction. The other two daughters, they, he's taken them out of Sodom, but Sodom is still infecting them. That they get their dad plastered with wine and seduce him. And the sons that are born out of that incest turn into nations that warred against God's people for generations. All of that from one decision. Made out of lust for money, thirst for worldly things, devastating consequences. As a close, I just want to give you one last thought. Think about Abram in this decision. You know, it's really hard to watch people make bad decisions. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to just somebody comes to you and tells you their plan and you're like, this is not going to turn out good. The problem is that unless they ask you for advice, your advice is usually not taken well. Some people got to learn the hard way. And this has got to be tough for Abram to watch happen. He's watched his own family, his own flesh, go to a place where they're going to be destroyed. But the promise is renewed. Look at verse 14 as we close. The Lord said to Abram, this is God. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, north, south, east, and west. All the land which, I, which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, your descendants could be numbered. Arise, walk in this land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. This is what's known as the Abrahamic covenant. There is no condition attached to this promise. Can you imagine? That even in your fallen state, Abram, even though you haven't seen all the miracles yet, even though you don't have a son to inherit all that I'll give you, this is what I'm promising. Because Abram made the righteous choice. In pain, the promise was renewed. I want to challenge you, church. We're going to walk through some difficult times in life. And whether you are Abram or whether you are Lot, you all have a choice to make this morning. And my call to you is that when you will make the choice, stand up for what's right, obey the Lord, go back to the place where the disobedience started and find repentance. Make your altar, make your peace. God says, there I will make my promise to you. That promise, I want to tell you, is still active today. Because in Christ, we have become children of Abraham. That's what it says in Romans. That we enter into that very same covenant because of the blood of Jesus. 
And when we will turn from our sins, when we will recognize how important our decisions are are today, that we can honor God with the way we live, then God says, I'll honor you with the same promise. And it's not a promise just about acquiring uh, real estate. This is a promise about dominion in life. This is a promise of uh, fruitfulness and blessing in your family, in your finances. And I want to challenge you. Some of you are facing decisions today. And you needed to hear this word because you have been considering a decision that could lead to danger and devastation. But maybe this morning, God can get your attention, make a decision of righteousness. Let's bow our heads. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.